setting your weekly lineup, banking stats in certain categories early on in the season. What are the right priorities to have on the waiver wire? We'll talk about these topics and more with guest Scott Pianowski next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your uh, once again horse host, Ariel Cohen. With me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today besides your voice? Uh, doing well otherwise. Guys, it's been a big week with umpiring games. I umpired more than I wanted to. Um, uh, our umpire couldn't be there emergently because uh, of family issue and uh, coaching, playing, you name it, and I guess in the process I lost my voice a little bit, but enough to uh, have fun and uh, do the show and give you guys great information. Hey, how are you doing, Ruvain? I'm doing well, and you know what? You have to push through it. Listen, Pete Alonso has a sinus infection. From what I heard, a really bad sinus infection, and he had a walk-off home run the other night, and he had a home run today also. So if he can power through it, you can too. I think he's going to start to spread that sinus infection around the clubhouse. That seemed to work. Well, they say hitting is infectious, right? Yeah. But I'm, but <laughs> there I'm there you go. Well, yeah. we've got a great show today. It's going to be our lineups episode. You'll see what I mean by that in a minute. But wanted to introduce our guest from Yahoo Sports. He is on the Circling the Bases podcast. You should definitely check out that one, guys. Scott Pianowski, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, having a blast on the Circling the Bases podcast. Uh, they're letting me uh, talk to DJ Short a couple of times a week for that. And, of course, all my work at Yahoo. You, it's funny you mentioned sinus infections. I'm a long-standing member of Tout Wars, uh, the mixed league auction. And this year I was had my reservations, had my plane ticket, had everything ready to go. And I was really sick the week of the draft. They called it a sinus infection. I, I All the COVID stuff came back negative. But when it got time to fly, I said, I, I, can't, I can't travel like this. I feel miserable. So I wrote to Todd Zola and Jeff Erickson and Peter Kreutzer and all the guys uh, – I'm forgetting somebody probably, but everybody who runs Tout Wars, I said, I'm really sorry to throw this at you last second, but I, I can't auction. I want to give you, I'm not going to travel. I want, I'm sick. I want to give you time to replace me. And what they did is they came up with a proxy manager, no less than Ron Chandler, who's like the godfather of fantasy baseball and somebody we all know and respect. And, and Ron agreed to basically look, give me the plan. I'll go, I'll execute it. I'll get the players you like. And God love them. I mentioned this to you guys right before we started. He got all the players I targeted as players I liked or players I thought I was over. My ranking was higher than the market, whatever it was. There's only one player he got that wasn't on my target list, and that was Yuri Perez of the Marlins. And this is a, a deep this is a deep mixed league. We've talked a, a lot about injuries are crazy this year. Pitchers are, are falling off left and right. To get Perez, I couldn't get him in my lineup for last week because I wasn't sure he was coming up then, but I was able to have him active. We're taping on Thursday. Perez had a good start. Today, it may be a lot of what we see from Perez. They may be shorter starts, and I don't know how many innings they're going to let a 20-year-old pitcher pitch, but still, if he can give me 80 or 100 innings of high strikeout, good ratio uh, work, which I think he might do, I'd be thrilled for that. So um, Ron Schindler got a team that was all Pianowski approved. He only colored outside the lines on one guy, and it was a pretty good guy to color outside the lines on. He got him in, late in the reserve draft. That was all Ron. This is my public thank you to my friend Ron Schindler. Yeah, I'll take Ron Chandler as uh, drafting my team any day. For sure. Yeah. 
Well, it's our uh, lineups episode, and what I mean by that is we're going to talk in our strategy section tonight about setting lineups. And this comes up on a, yes, weekly basis, twice a week, actually, if you have two times a week, or daily, actually, if you have daily leagues. So the question is how to set your lineup. And so, you know, question out to you, Scott, and, you know, what I tend to do is, you know, you're going through the lineup, but I don't start at the top and say, should I play Freddie Freeman? That's kind of a no-brainer. Should I play Ronald Acuna? Yes. Um, sort of go down and say, all right, there's some line in there where I just know it doesn't matter the matchups, doesn't matter how hot they've been over the last couple of weeks or not. You're starting that guy no matter what. And so then this way I work from the bottom, and I say, okay, let's take our, our subs that are currently on my bench. And are they better than this other player next week? How do you, in general, uh, uh, approach your lineup setting, top to bottom, bottom to top? What, what are you working on? Yeah, I'm always looking at the bottom. And I agree, you know, your Acunas, your Freemans, nobody needs any help. Starting those guys, even if they have a short week, it doesn't matter. I'm going to take five games of Freddie Freeman. I guess the only maybe deviation from when do you bench a name player and every week guy would be, what, what's the level where you would start bench a pitcher who's pitching in Colorado? And it's, it's, I always seem to get that wrong. It, it seems like whenever I bench the guy going to Colorado, he pitches great. Whenever I say, oh, okay, this guy's too good to bench, I'm going to get him in there. He allows seven runs. But other than that, there's going to be a decent chunk. I'm thinking mixed leagues. Most of my, my play is in mixed leagues. that Guys, you don't have to think about. And so how do you determine who are the final two or three guys? Maybe it, it is every week, it feels like to me. And it's playing time, spot in the lineup, obviously the schedule, how many games are you playing, where are those games played, are they extreme hitter or pitcher parks. I feel like there aren't that many extreme parks anymore. I feel like a lot of parks are kind of in the middle that they don't move the needle anymore, but there are a few that do. And something also that I like to do with my roster construction before the season is I like to have what I call a team of Legos. I like to have a handful of guys who play multiple positions, so that way when I'm filling out my lineup or replacing guys because of injuries if you have a handful of these guys who bounce all around you can just take the best hitter and you're not usually worried about the positional fill where if you have a team that's more statically driven with their positions and i'm not gonna go crazy with it i won't bump a guy up two rounds just because oh he plays three or four positions you know brandon donovan plays a bunch of positions for the cardinals i'm not sure he's fantasy viable although i was hoping maybe he would be this year it turns out he kind of isn't but i like to have a team that's flexible that way but at the end of the day a lot of times it's going to be as simple as, okay, this guy's got an extra game. Or you, you look at somebody like Lamont Wade for the Giants. He's in the heavy side of a platoon. That schedule needs to be right. If the Giants are facing three lefties, Wade probably can't go that week in a mixed league. So handedness comes into play. Schedule comes into play. A lot of times it's the number of games. Recent form, I I, I put some stock in it. I, again, you know, that, that, that stuff fluctuates. Guys can have hot weeks and cold weeks back to back. I do. The thing is, though, if you're playing well, at least it keeps you in the lineup. Maybe it bumps you up in the lineup. When guys steal bases, a lot of times they get clustered. You get successful a couple of times. You're more incentivized to run maybe the next time. So those are the types of things I'm looking at. Again, I'm like you, Ariel. I'm looking at the bottom of the lineup, not the top of the lineup. So, Ruvain, for you, when you're setting the lineup, is it a matter of saying, okay, which of my players are cold that I have to sit? Or are you also saying, all right, which is my best start? Which is the best player's Start at the bottom and, you know, just figure out who has the best matchups, who has the best blah, 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 blah. Well, basically what I do is 
I look at my bench before I do anything and who's on my bench, who had a good week before. So I am looking for the hot players. I, I want to try to get those hot players in there. And what I actually do is I actually set my lineup on, if, if it's a one, it's a weekly lineup, I set my lineup on for the Friday before. And I look and see where I have holes. Am I comfortable playing this guy over this guy? Do I need to pick someone up in fab? I, I base my fab on how my lineup looks. If I'm not comfortable putting this guy in or this guy, then I'm looking at the fab where I'm saying, okay, this is the position I need to go look for. But usually... What I'm looking for is I'm looking for how many games they're playing, if they're healthy, if they think they're coming back that week. If an injured player is coming back, if it's a pitcher, I usually don't send them, put them into the lineup that week. Um, I usually wait a week to see how they do. Um, if there's a player who may come back on Monday or Tuesday, then I'll consider putting them into the lineup. If there is a player coming back, let's say, toward the end of the week and it's only a, a weekly thing, I have to really base it on matchups and who's, and who's hot and whether or not I can take a couple of zeros for a couple of days. Scott, does it change for you later in the season where you say, all right, I, I need more homers, so I'm going to sit my stolen base guys even if they're way above replacement and vice versa? I do think strategy gets more specialized later in the season. Yeah, I, I make the analogy that bunting in baseball early in the game is almost never right. You should be trying to play for big innings. But late in the game when one run wins the game, bunting may be the right play. We're going to play to a more specific strategy later in the season, so I may be categorically driven that way. And I like what Ruben said about the injuries. Like this week, one of my toughest calls was Jazz Chisholm, who had had a setback. He'd run to a wall. It turns out he was okay with that, but he had some turf toe. It wasn't clear if he was going to go. And I, I had an important decision to make with him in a weekly league where they weren't playing on Monday. And I thought we were running the risk of maybe taking a full-on zero with him. It turns out now, since then, Chisholm has gone the DL. But I said to my partner, I think we need to play this safe. And, and if we're pleasantly surprised that Chisholm avoids the DL and, he, and he's still playing well he's still interested in running that's the other thing too you just don't need Chaz, jazz chisholm healthy and in the lineup you need him healthy enough to run because that's the main part of why you have him on your roster anyway so uh, it's a lot of this is going to be it depends you know how good is your alternative uh, what do you need you in, later in the season you, what specifically do you need to climb the categories or to protect the categories that you're already in good stead in the strategy becomes more specific then but um, as Ruben says, the injury, and I like that he sets a, a projected lineup earlier in the week. That's something I always do for football. I always set my fantasy football lineup on a Saturday night or Saturday afternoon. Just the idea of if I get bogged down the next day, I just want to know that I at least put a pass through it, knowing that I want to go through that Sunday news cycle. And fantasy baseball is the same way. And again, I, I think Ruben's tip is really good. What does my lineup look like and how do I attack fab? And then Monday, we'll use all the intel, all the fab results, and then we'll try to put our best lineup on the field for the next seven days. Yeah, it also takes away some of the recency bias when you do it a couple days earlier where you're not swayed by, well, that guy just hit a home run yesterday. You know, you want to get your whole lineup. One game is not going to change it much. You know, it, it's really difficult with the injuries. Uh, take like Manny Machado this week or Yandy Diaz. Well, he's not on the IL. Is he going to come back and play? You know, there's obviously a certain line above where, you know, Machado, Acuna, one of these guys, if there's any chance that they're going to play, you're going to leave him in and, I get this question a lot from, from fantasy players. What do you do? How do you determine? And, you know, it's really hard to just tell people, uh, well, it's a case-by-case -case basis always. It really does depend on the intel. I think what you said before is really pertinent that it really depends on the option of who you have to replace them. If you have somebody pretty viable, even if you sit your star, you're covered. But if you have a scrub who's just going to get a couple of at-bats, then what the heck? Just play your star even if there's a low chance for him playing. 
so much of fantasy sports is the margin analysis, right? It's not just how good somebody is in a vacuum, but how much better is he than your opponent's players? How much better is he than your roster alternatives? And I also just want to plus one, one other thing Reuven said. I, when pitchers come back from injuries, almost always I want to see one start. There are some guys who are so good. I might just, you know, if Jacob DeGrom comes back, I might just play him no matter what. And unfortunately, the last few years, it's been a lot of that. Jacob DeGrom, when is he coming back? But for the most part, when a pitcher's coming off the IL, and, and teams are pretty upfront about it, okay, he's going two times through the order. He's throwing 45 pitches. He's throwing 60 pitches. Maybe you don't have a great chance for a win. I wish I had been a little bit of the same ethos with my relief pitching with Ryzo Iglesias. Been out for so long. I was desperate for saves and tout lures. I put him in right away. All he's done pretty much is give up hits and runs since then. A little bit nervous to the point that I think that might be a bullpen worth speculating about. We can talk about that later in the show. But uh, I also share uh, Ruben's ethos about the pitchers coming back. I like to see one start before I get in with both feet. So question that I get a lot is, hey, Ariel, how many starters should I start? How many relievers should I start? And, of course, it matters depending upon your league, what your league tendencies are doing, the format that you're playing in. But uh, do you have any any uh, thoughts on that, Scott, as, as, as to how to do that? And, you know, the reason I'm asking also is because um, you can play – if you play more starters, you're going to get more strikeouts and theoretically get more wins on your team. Uh, if you play more re- middle relievers and closers, theoretically you'll bank a couple more ratio points or you'll improve your team's ratio a little bit earlier with the risk of dropping a little bit in strikeouts and, and wins. And you know, the question is, does that factor in? Um, I mean, I, I used to play, and maybe it's not the case today, we'll talk about it. I used to play, you know what, at the end of the season you can always get some wins and strikeouts just by streaming volume. But ratios, they're much harder to correct. I don't know if that's true now, but... You know, at one point in time, it was, and for that reason, I always said, play fewer starters, you know, play fewer innings, make sure your ratios are pristine as long as you can. How do do you work this? Yeah, I like the way you frame that. And, you know, I think we've seen a sea change. I don't know exactly where the line goes back, if it's three years, five years, 10 years, but we're seeing more relievers get wins and fewer wins are getting filtered into the starting rotation because... Teams use openers, teams. It's not unusual now for a pitcher. We saw Alex Wood last week. He was coming back, and he had, I think, a four-run lead. He got two outs in the fifth inning, and then here come the Giants. They took him out immediately with nobody on base. In the old, in my first, the old days, it would have been like an outcry. What's the manager doing? Is Alex Wood hurt? Now it's just like, no, no, we, we don't want him to pitch any deeper in this game, in, in part because they're not sure they trust him the third time through the order, and he'd thrown a certain amount of pitches, all that stuff. So... It used to be, I've been playing fantasy long enough, where it used to be the, the simplest cheat code, and everybody knew it, was just to double up on starters. You get two chances at a win. You get more strikeouts. That's not as automatic anymore because, for one thing, you have two chances to get hammered too. But those starting pitchers don't get as many. The percentage of wins that go to their starting rotation is so much lower now. And what happens is it used to be, okay, should I roster this middle reliever? He's not getting or non-closing reliever, whatever you want to phrase it. He's not getting any save chances. Well, I, you know, why would I want that guy? That guy might get nine wins. That guy might get eight wins. He may get six wins and five saves. And we've seen the striation of save. More teams now are spreading their saves around to multiple guys. It's or they may identify the best reliever in a bullpen may pitch the sixth inning, the seventh inning, the eighth inning because the game's in the balance. We don't see as much push button managing by the save rule anymore. So this is. Really, I know it depends is not a satisfying answer to the listener, 
but it really does depend on how good are my starting options? What do my ratios look like? How do I look in the categories? If I do have guys who are borderline who are going twice, what who are they facing? If if they're facing the the I don't know the the Yankees and the Red Sox, I may not like it. If they're facing the Royals and the Tigers, I may like it. So a lot of it's going to be matchup driven, but. The big change to me is that starters don't get as many wins as they used to. And I think a relief strategy, which was always kind of a boutique strategy, as I think is more of a mainstream strategy now, where even people who don't get as in the weeds and as sophisticated as this show would get, still might consider a relief-heavy strategy for their pitching staff. Ruvane, what about you? Are you trying to bank some ratios early? Are you pushing more relievers these days? What, 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 what are you doing? What do you have to say about the whole banking issue now? Well, I think you you have to bank some stats. Like if you want to bank uh, strikeouts, I think the, the starters will probably get a longer release now than they would later in the season. So that's something to go for. But I want to use one of my teams as an example of my mental thinking of what happened. Now in GDD, it's a league where I'm in, I'm in with you. Um, I have two starters. I have Grayson Rodriguez, who is two start this week against the Angels and against the Blue Jays. I had Chris Bassett against the Yankees. And I had two relievers who I could have played. I have Giovanni Gallegos and Brewster Gratterall. Now, I'm in dead last in strikeouts. So it's I think it's a case-by-case basis where I played Grayson Rodriguez, and I'm paying for it because he got shelled by the Angels, but I need strikeouts, so I'm playing those guys. If you have a guy in your roster who's too start, and you're putting him on your bench and you're not playing him, why do you have him on your team? Bingo, bingo. The moment you don't want to play a two-star pitcher, it identifies why am I rostering him. That's such a great point. And, and if, if I have Grayson Rodriguez and he's a prospect and he's supposed to get a lot of strikeouts, why am I not playing him? So I played him and I got shelled. And I, and I, but I also played Chris Bassett. Why? Because last week he pitched well. He pitched very well. He pitched well against the Yankees this week. So, you know, I, I, I got a bunch of strikeouts at him. So it depends on how you are at this point in your league. If you need to catch up on strikeouts, then throw those starters out there because you may not get the wins, but you can get the strikeouts. I have already banked a pretty decent ERA and whip in this league because I've been playing the, the, the game of all these relievers. I'm just keeping reliever, 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 which is why I'm dead last in strikeouts. But my strikeouts are my my saves are up, my ERA and whip are good, and I'm getting a win here and there, like just like you mentioned about getting these relievers, getting these wins. So if I would have played, I probably would have been safer playing Gratterall instead of uh, Grayson Rodriguez because Gratterall already got a win for me, and Grayson Rodriguez just blew up my ERA and just gave me three runs, uh, three strikeouts. So I think it's really based on your need at, in in the standings at this at this point, and I really think that you really have to. Go sometimes. I know I really hate this, but go with your gut. Think what you, uh, you you see this stuff. You can hear what everyone says, but look at your look at your own two eyes. Look at the stats from last week. Look at the stats from the week before. Look at overall, and is it worth it to my team? Am I am I able to handle it if my team if this player two star player blows up if he gombers me? So I'll say a few things. Um, well, first of all, what I said earlier is that yes, I used to do ratios. Ratios more important. I'm kind of thinking, though, that later in the season, the ERA and whip will be easier to gain points than it ever has been. I mean, with the number of blow-ups that you see and with the overall ratios going up, um, ERA and, and whip, you could make strides later in the season. It's not like it was in the past. Um, and so for that reason, you may want to push a little bit more in the strikeouts and you know wins could be hard to come by we don't know we the, the volume push that we used to do later on in the year just won't work exactly for what what scott said that you know we're not going the, these fringe starters are not going 
five innings, they're not getting the wins. Um, so the the only thing I'll say though is that saves. I think saves are worth banking early on because you just don't know the save sources later on in the season. Teams are doing quite a few different types of things with relievers. You might see it might you might see it morph into a save share. You might see it one week one closer, one week going to the other guy. The more you could bank saves earlier on, take away that uncertainty of what you can play, uh, that might help later on. Now, everything is a case-by-case basis. For example, in labor, um, I my, my team is decimated in terms of starting pitching. I have Verlander was out for a while, Max Fried I have on my team, Severino, Drew Rasmussen. I'm decimated by starters. In that scenario, I don't want to play crappy pitchers. I just don't. So I'm going to bank as much ratio as I can now by fortifying with more extra start with extra relievers till I somehow rotate and find the starters that I think are viable. I'll get them in later. I'm, I'm sort of time delaying it while I figure it out. I don't want to just throw in someone to the fire right now. So that's one case where, where I have there. In NFBC, we're doing with Ruvain, um, we're, we're really getting those strikeouts. We're, getting, we're throwing those starters in, and it's working. We're, we're really picking up those points. We're also doing okay in ratios, but you know we're banking those wins because those are going to be precious. So it does depend on where you are, uh, but the tilt to me is away from the ratios and more towards those categories, uh, wins, saves, and strikeouts. Let me talk about saves and banking. And I, and I realize not every league is a trading league. Like, for example, in the NFBC, you can't trade. And you may be in a league that allows trades, but people are reluctant to trade. But if you're in a league that does allow trading, one thing I love to do is get saves early, trade them, because saves are one of the few categories, and maybe steals are like this, but I think saves is the overwhelming category that you could trade it and then basically get it for nothing later in the league. Okay, like if you say you have a power excess and you trade Pete Alonso, or you you trade Matt Olson or you, whoever, you're going to miss that because there's not, you're not going to find a Matt Olson or a Pete Alonso on the waiver wire. But whatever closure you trade, you it's conceivable you could pick up somebody a couple weeks down the road who could get just as many saves as the pitcher you traded. Maybe he won't be as good of a pitcher, but we, saves always come into the league. We, we know that's a fact. So I love I love all constantly trying to get saves on a budget. I'm not I'm never going to be the first guy to take a closer in a league. That's been standard most of the time I have played fantasy, but I don't mind. Buying in the second tier, the you know the Jordan Romano tier, one year Kirby Yates, I got one year like the seventh or eighth closer. I think he led the majors in saves. There's been plenty of misses too. Blake Trinan was good to me one year, but saves are one category that you could trade from a strength in saves, and yet you might still be fortified in that category without having to give up assets, without having to trade something major because you just get a pitcher at the right time. And besides, and, and besides going after saves and banking saves, I think you should really try to bank power. I mean, why would you not play at this point Luke Rayleigh or Patrick Wisdom? Their batting averages may not be that great, but you can make that. You can make up batting average. You, it's hard to make up the power later on because it's hard to get the guys, guys in the waiver wire. And if you're playing those guys instead of, let's say, steel guys, usually they're more stolen bases toward later in the season when younger guys get called up anyway. So you can probably get saves on the on the waiver wire as well. So besides being able to bank saves, especially because a lot of closers have their job for the first six weeks or so. Home runs, power, you, those are things you can't get as, as much on the waiver wire. So if you have those guys that you're on the fence about whether to start them or not, start them. Bank the power. Bank that stuff because you can get the, uh, the stolen bases later also. I want to say one other thing about saves, too. When I, when I mentioned getting saves for free, 
I'm also mindful of if your league is competitive. This is if you're in a non-competitive league where people are really casual. Yeah, you're going to rule the waiver wire. You'll get all the newly minted closers. You can probably even wait until they're minted. If you're in a competitive league, you have to be early. You have to speculate. It's not just there are people elbowing you for the for the things that you want off the waiver wire. So I don't want to. There's probably somebody out there saying, "Oh yeah, well it's easy to say just go out and get saves for free." My league is there's eleven person knife fight for every new closer. You know how do I win that? I, I get it that in more sophisticated leagues it's harder to do that, but still possible to do that. It's still a commodity to trade either way, you know. For for sure. Um, now you mentioned Ruvain that you know you can the uh, prospects come up later. You get steals. So in the past, the best months for steals have been April, May, and September. September, because you had the call-ups, you had the rosters expanding to 40 players. That's not the case anymore. So I'm not sure that the boom in, in stolen bases will occur in uh, September. However, power, the boom does occur over the summer. Late June, July, and August has more homers than previous than earlier in the season, that is. So, um, you know, while, while it's... You know, you can make the case, though, that, of course, there's more homers for your team, there's more homers for other teams, but there might be some cheaper power sources on the waiver wire because of the heat of the summer that there isn't earlier in the season. So I'm not saying don't bank the power. I'm just saying that there is a little bit more power available, possibly, especially in shallower leagues on the waiver wire because of the summer months. You might want to bank a little bit more in the hidden stats of the stolen bases, a, because of, just like save, they're a good trading commodity. If you have a speedster, that, that everyone wants speed at the trading deadline, so that's a good thing to bank. But also because there are fewer steals in the heat of the summer. So you do want to bank that and then go to where, oh, now there's plenty full ho- uh, homers. Take advantage of that. Let me throw out one other thing. You talk about the cadence of the season, right? There's more power in the middle of the year. We know that because of the weather. One other thing, again, this is a league, league to league. This is going to vary a lot. But I play in a lot of competitive leagues. I my longtime keeper league goes back to the early '90s, and two things are true in most of the leagues I play, and even in Tout Wars, this is true. When late in the season comes, August comes, September comes. What happens? People go back to college. Whether it's you going back to college, or your kids are going to college, your grandkids going to college. I don't know how old you are. Whatever it is, okay. Football comes around, and like it or not, fantasy baseball players. Fantasy football is a behemoth. People are into college football, different time of the year. And there's going to be people who admit in August and September, you know, I can't win this year. This isn't my year. Now, some people, and I know we're all like this, and I'm sure most of our listeners are like this. We're going to play every week. We're going to fab every week. We're going to set a lineup every week. If I'm an eighth, I want to climb the seventh. I want to climb the sixth. I want to climb the fifth. In fact, my longtime keeper league, we do our draft order, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 4, 12, 3, 13, 2, 14, 1, because we want to give everybody a constant carrot so people just don't mail it in and say, well, I'll just come in last. Well, you come in last in mentally, you, you pick second to last the next season every round. So we're giving you a carrot. But as you're considering the cadence of the season, what is how is the player acquisition or the player strategy or the fab strategy different from month to month? Remember in August, people go on vacation. Remember in, in September, some people are going to check out, whether it's football, whether it's they're not competing, whether it's they're worried about junior going to state university, whatever it is. People get busy, and I'm always surprised, pleasantly surprised, even in competitive leagues. I'll put in my fab bids in September, and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't think I'd get this guy. I had no fab left. I could only bid $1 on this player who I thought was a $20 player, and nobody else bid. Or 
I'll make sure I make set those lineups in daily leagues on a weekend because you'd be shocked. You're in a head-to-head game. You're in a Sunday, and your opponent didn't put two of their active pitchers in because they're worried about their fantasy football lineup. It's a fact of life that our what we do, our cadences, our routines are going to be different in the final quarter of the season. 100%. 100%. I have this question that uh, posed to me about Shohei Otani in lineups. How do you determine what role to utilize him each week? Should I play him as a hitter or pitcher? How do you determine it? Now, if you're playing in a league that has for, – for, you're fortunate enough to have him that is an either-or, I, I don't know of any leagues that you, you can play him as both at the same time. I, 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 there's leagues where you have Shohei Otani the hitter or Shohei Otani the pitcher, um, or usually it's fine as what well. you have him. You can use him as either-or but not both. If it's a two-start week from Shohei Otani, sure, you're going to play him there. If you've got seven games – as a hitter, sure, but unlike other years where it was almost always, hey, he's a hitter, except for rare circumstances, Otani's pretty good as a pitcher as well. Now, he did give up home runs in each of the last four games. He's not as bulletproof as he was the first four starts of the year, but you know, it's still a decision. How would you determine, Scott, what to play Shohei Otani as for those middling weeks? It's a great question. I do not have a great answer to in part because I don't have any Otani. I don't think I've rostered him one time since he joined the majors. And this is what a sixth season. Um, I think it comes down to what you need. And if your team, if your offense is the strength of your team, maybe it makes more sense to get him in there as a pitcher. If you are one of the teams that's been lucky enough to tiptoe through the, all the landmines this year and you have a really strong rotation. Now, if Otani's pitching twice, that's one thing. I mean, that's pretty much obvious go. Uh, although the way they spread him out, I'm not sure how often that happens, if it even happens at all. But I, I think it, it really has to be made by the shape of your roster. Anything to add, Ruben? Yeah, the way we use them is that we look at our starting pitchers and the pitchers in general who were starting that week. And then we figure out, do we need him as a pitcher this week? Is it viable? Or do we look at the hitter side? Do we have a bunch of injuries and we need to plug him in as a hitter? Do we need to put him in the utility to be a hitter for us? So I think it's really on a case-by-week-by-week by week basis for him. He's currently in actually a big pitching slump. I mean, his ERA at the end of April was, I think, under, is like 1.38, I believe, and now it's all the way up to 3.23. So, I mean, he's he's in a little bit of a slump, but, I mean, him, him is, I'd rather have him in a slump than have, uh, you know, a, a two-star pitcher who doesn't do that well because you still will get the strikeouts for him. Um, and, again, it also matters how you're doing with your power, with the, your, your offense. If you need an offensive guy and, and you're slumping and you see you're starting to fall behind in some of the counting sets because you're a theorist, you were thinking of using Otani mainly as a hitter, and that was in, that was part of your projections, and that was part of your whole layout for your season. Then I think now's the time to start using as a hitter as opposed to a pitcher. You know, one really funny thing about his pitching stats right now, I'm looking at his baseball reference page, is he has three categories where he leads the major leagues in in um, in this particular pitching stat. He has the lowest hits per nine. He's only allowed 4.4 hits per nine. And that explains why he doesn't lead the major leagues in whip, but a, a .90 whip is ridiculous. But he does also lead the majors. Gene McCaffrey used to call these hidden stats. Not that they're necessarily hidden, but we don't talk about them that much. He leads the major leagues and hit by uh, batters hit by a pitch. He's hit. He's plunked seven guys, major league high, and he's thrown eight wild pitches. These don't affect your whip, but they affect your effectiveness, and they make they make you stay on the mound. You have to throw more pitches. You allow more runs. Also, his FIP is a, is a run higher than his ERA right now. It's just interesting that he's last year he only hit two guys all season, 166 innings. This year, when he's hitting guys and throwing wild pitches, it just shows you he just his command isn't there right now. 
question about um, lineups and projections. Scott, do you look at next week projections when setting up your lineup? I don't know, either Yahoo or the Bat or whatever. Just, you know, what is the expected stats for next week? Do you look at that before setting lineups? Maybe I should, but I don't. And I know Derek Hardy does a great job with all of his bat stuff. Um, and it's it seems like everybody who uses it has something really great to say about it. I, I guess in, I kind of have like an internal projection. It's not numerical to me. I haven't quantified it, but I have a rough expectation of how much playing time somebody's going to get and what I would expect from them in that week. But do I actually get out a spreadsheet and add it up? The answer is no. And maybe to my detriment. Let's talk a little bit of waiver wire. So I'm going to throw out a couple of different categories of picks you can pick up on your waiver wire. And, Scott, I'd like you to just answer and say, you know, which which of those do you value the most or maybe which you value the least? Obviously, you know, everything matters, but, you know, is there any priority you have? And, you know, number one, you could pick up a high-profile prospect or a player with upside. Two, you can pick up a player that is coming into more playing time you know, batting leadoff more, getting every day at bats, getting higher leverage roles. Um, three, you could pick up a red hot player, just somebody who's been performing well very recently. Four, somebody who's you know a, a player that was drafted somewhat highly and just underperforming that somebody else has cut. I, Josh Bell was cut in mm-hmm. labor for for uh, in my league. I scooped him up. And I thought that was a priority. Uh, or your your team statistical needs. You need homers. That's what you look at. You want to get power off the waiver wire. Which of those, for you, is the biggest focus, uh, or or least focus, whatever you want to talk about for the waiver wire? Again, it's going to be largely situational with what your team needs. But I'm always looking at playing time, role expansion. Who's been bumped up in the lineup? Who's got a better role now? Who's been given the green light? And usually, when you get those things, it's because you've been performing well. So I'm I'm kind of double checking cat columns here because when if you move if somebody got moved up to the leadoff spot he's probably getting on base or he's probably putting the ball in play and getting a lot of hits or stealing bases whatever it is so um playing time i always i'm always even if i don't pick up the guys one thing i'm always going to do is put in a range it may not be the last week it may be 10 days it may be 14 days i want to see who's actually getting the most at bats that's a in, there's a jason gray the the great um former tout who's now a scout in the baseball industry he used to always say in a mixed league, you want the most at bats. Everything else will figure itself out because the, if a guy's getting a lot of at bats, that means he's getting good lineup real estate and hopefully on a good team as well. So playing time and I guess recent form tied into that is usually what I'm looking at. But I'm with you. You know, Josh Bell was dropped in one of my leagues and I jumped on that. I spent some of my precious fab or my maybe it was my waiver priority to get Bell. It hasn't paid off yet. I think there's a good chance it will pay off. And Obviously, whenever anybody, any hot prospect gets called up, we talked about Yuri Perez earlier, but whenever a hot prospect comes up, you have to at least look at what's possible, the plausible upside. None of these guys have any floor, but they have plausible upside. But the second option you mentioned about playing time and role expansion, that's something that I weigh heavily every week. All right, Ruvain, what about your thoughts? Playing time and statistical needs. I'm looking at my roster, seeing what I need and and what's out there. I try to tend to stay away from the prospects. I don't, not that I don't want them. I just a little bit nervous about them. But I was looking. I did some research back. Our NFBC league that we're in right now, me and you, there are there are a total of one, two, three, four, five players who went over two hundred dollars in Fab money. They were Francisco Alvarez, Taj Bradley, uh, Taj Bradley, Tanner Bibby. Bryce Miller and Yuri Perez. 
And in the, T- in the TJFBI I'm in, Mason Miller went for over 200 also. So I don't think I'm willing to spend that money on the prospect. So I think the prospect aspect, I'm not even really looking at it. Yes, I'll put a, a, a keep honest bid in there, but I don't really think I'm going to spend it because I know I'm not going to get it. So why should I chase something I know I'm probably not going to get? But I do want to see playing time. I do want to see my statistical needs. I want to plug in those holes, especially if I have an injured player and I have to plug in a hole for an injured player. I'm looking at playing time before I even look at, 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 at the statistical need. Because I want someone, I, would, I don't want a zero. I don't want a, even a, a low number. I want someone who's playing almost every day. I look to see their, who they're playing. Are they a lefty? Are they doing a, are they, uh, the lefty-righty thing going on there? I want to make sure that they're playing all righties that week or all lefties. Though That's what I'm looking for when it, when it comes to Fab. I want to piggyback on the idea of what do you bid on a prospect? I generally, I'm, I'm kind of of Ruben's thought where I'll bid on these guys. I'll put them to keep honest bid. I'll, I'll try to be aware of those guys. But shiny new toys, a lot of times people just can't help themselves and they do a two-handed shove. And so I usually am a little bit lower than the consensus on what I fab for those guys. Sometimes I get them anyway. It depends on when the player came up and what his pedigree is and you know how ballyhooed he is and all that stuff. Conversely, you think of the exact opposite type of player, somebody who's not a prospect, somebody who's not in his young 20s. I think it's somebody like Brent Rooker. And this is a convenient example because Brent Rooker looks like he might be the real deal. But I'm more, I think, open-minded or more sympathetic to players who got a shot to play later in their career. And Brent Rooker was a first-round pick. I mean, this guy had some kind of pedigree. He wasn't the first overall pick in his class, but he did go in the first round. I, a lot of times, am more willing to say, well, why is this kind of no-name 27, 28, 29-year-old guy? Why is he producing now? Does he have a role? Um, I'm, a lot of times, I'm winning guys like that, and I'm not winning the bids on the hot prospects. And, and it, you know, like, when the hot prospect pans out, you, you feel silly because those are the most fun players sometimes. But I find myself more likely to get the Brent Rookers than I would the hot prospects. Yeah, I'll say my thoughts about those prospects in a second, but uh, I agree with with everything that you guys have said. And you know, Scott, uh, the the at bats thing is absolutely true. You, you just want to accumulate at bats, and a player who's coming into more playing time, batting first, batting cleanup now. That's the guys who you want on the on the wire. And by the way, they're very often the cheapest ones of them all, right? The the, the high profile prospects, they're going for more money. The red hot players recently, they're going for more money. Just guys who are just getting the more at-bats, they don't cost as much. And by definition, if I think of things in terms of return on investment. Well, there's two ways to get a good return on investment. One is where they get a good return. The other is a small investment. If you're only having to spend 3 $7 out of 1000 on the waiver wire, you don't need that much of an upside to earn what you're paying, right? You're getting your value. So for that reason, I, I also like that. Uh, in terms of your team's statistical needs, to me, that's less of a factor early on. In fact, I don't even look at it. But later in the season, it is, right? I, I just want the best value early in the season, whatever category it is. But in the last month, yes, then I'm looking, oh, I need steals. Let's pick up a stolen base guy. So that actually takes over to me as the most important. But, you know, in terms of the, the high-profile prospects and going so much, um, I think it really depends on where, you're, where you are in the standings of your league. Because to me, it's about risk and upside. You know, for every... Juan Soto that comes up and, oh, my God, rakes, and that was worth the $400 fab out of 1000 that you paid, there's another three, four, six rookies that just don't pan out, right? If you're playing the percentages, the hit rate on those guys that work are very low. 
So it's a bad dart throw in general. But of course, then you have the argument, but wait a minute, that guy can win your league. So that is an argument. But again, since it's a low probability, if you have a low probability to win in the first place, if you're in low standing, then to me, that gamble makes sense. If you're in first, second, third place, you need expected production. You need a high hit rate. The prospect spending a lot of money for a low hit rate that does not actually work in terms of your standing. Do you agree with that, Scott? And do you, in general, uh, are does it matter where your standing is in terms of how aggressive you are on the waiver wire? I think later in the season it will. I'm not sure if it's early enough. I don't know if the standings have enough personality necessarily to let that influence your bidding too much. But you said a lot. I was thinking a lot of things when you were talking that if the best players in your league, and, and that's one thing you should constantly be doing in any Anything you want to get better in is one, play people who are better than you. You want to be a better tennis player, play people who are better than you. You want to be a better golfer, hang around with golfers who are better than you. You want to be a better softball player, go strike out against Ariel Cohen three times, and maybe you'll become a better softball player <laughs> or, a better, or a better umpire for that matter. The best fantasy players know how to buy from the bottom of the bucket, not the top of the bucket. I'm not saying they never bid 300 or 400 or 500 if the time is right and they go for it. It's like in the NFL draft. The smart teams are trading down. They're accumulating picks. They're getting more bites at the apple and more inexpensive bites at the apple. Players who won't make as much, won't command as much right away with their contracts and stuff like that. You need to learn how to be early on, guys. How to ask yourself. This is one thing I want to always ask myself in fantasy football, and I try to do it in fantasy baseball too. Who is the player right now? who's not getting a lot of talk on, who next week could be the $200 fab player. Who is that? Try to pick him up now for a buck or for two bucks or for zero bucks. Maybe you have a first come first serve period like one of my leagues does for like a 12-hour window on Sunday. And the best people, there's one team in our league who almost never bids on anybody. And then I see them scooping up guys for nothing. And I'm like, oh my, how did I miss that guy? You have to learn. You want to be a good fantasy player? You have to learn how to buy at the bottom of the market. Absolutely. Yeah, and I also I also want to add on to that. You mentioned looking at what other teams have are doing. That's something I always do. Whenever I see, oh, yeah. let's say you use CBS or something like that, you always get an email saying these these players have gotten for this price and everything like that. I'm looking at that for a couple of minutes. I'm looking at who picked up what. Why did they pick them up? If there's a name I never heard of, why are they doing that? What are they doing? Because I'm thinking to myself. Why didn't I do that? Should I be thinking about that? He's is he? Are they thinking outside the box? And that's just a whole other way of thinking about Feb. For, gather all the intel you can. You know, in in Tout Wars, not every league is like this, but in Tout Wars, when when the Fab report gets released, mixed league, you can see every player bid on whether or not he was rostered by somebody. It's all like, who did Jeff Zimmerman bid on? Who, who's this guy? I, I don't even know who that is. Is he? Oh, is he? Okay, he's a reliever on a team who may be getting saved. Yeah, but and also the cadence. It's kind of neat the way it works on Sunday. My longtime keeper league, Fab at six. Tout Wars, Fab at eight. TGFBI and the NFBC leagues, fab at 10. Labor, fabs at midnight. By all means, I'm taking in all the information I can. And, and look, it's, every league's different. People, all you need is one guy with a crazy idea and the pricing structure gets blown out of the water. I get that. But let's try to gather as much intel as you can, especially on Sunday. We talked about saves and steals earlier. That's one position where if a guy got a save on Sunday or a guy stole a couple of bases on Sunday, his value may be totally different than whatever you thought it was on Saturday. There's such a low barrier to entry for guys who get saves and steals. And games are being played while I'm making my fab bids on Sunday. That 6 o'clock window, there'll still be games that haven't finished yet. And you might miss some stuff in the nooks and crannies. Definitely 
look at other people's pieces of paper and see because you're not it's, it's a very dynamic the world is 30 baseball teams everybody plays on the weekend you don't have time to watch everything so try to learn try to learn from the stuff you didn't see by the people you respect what are they doing and try to pick up some tips that way absolutely and before we go any further time for the injury gurus trivia of the week Well, the next topic we're going to be talking about is what to do with. And even this is a pitcher edition. These are some high-profile pitchers who are supposed to be good, but they're not really that good this year, and we want to know what to do with them. So to lead into this, this is a trivia. Ariel and, and, and Scott, let's see if both of you can name as many as you can. There are 11 pitchers in Major League Baseball starting pitchers with an ERA over 4.9 and have had eight or nine starts. That's, that's basically starting every five or six days. Can you name the 11 starting pitchers in the Major Leagues with an ERA over 4.90? Well, I know Lance Lynn is one of them. Lance Lynn is one of them. He's actually fourth worst at 6.66. Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa is another one. He is ERA's 5.40. Any others? Uh, uh, Gomber. He's gotten Gomber. Of course, time. Gomber. Gomber is 6.7. The worst ERA. Anyone have any idea who has the worst ERA? And he's on the waiver wire for everybody. Is it Granky? Granky's up there. Granky has a 5.01 ERA. Jordan Lyle, 7.14 ERA. Brady Singer, 7.09 ERA. You know, I don't know if he made enough starts, but a guy I believed in, and I have a feeling he didn't make enough starts to make this list, but I believed in David Peterson before the year, and I know his numbers are terrible. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I believe in him also. Um, Ryan Nelson, 5.48. Jack Flaherty. I've I've streamed against Nelson a few times. Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty, (laughs) 5.24. Dean Kramer, 4.94. Miles Michaelis, 4.91, and number 11 is at 4.91 also, Sandy Alcantara. Mm. So the question is, what do we, we'll start with Alec Manoa, Scott. What do you think we should do with him? Should we be playing him? Should we be sitting him? Should we be on, on a matchup basis? What do you think? I want to mention that Mike, Michaelis and Kramer have both actually pitched a lot better of lately, and, and I'm, they're on a couple of my teams, in, in part with Kramer. Because Baltimore, I think Baltimore might be the second best team in the American League, and I just want to roster guys on that team, even though Kramer isn't a big strikeout guy. Manoa's getting crushed by walks. He can't, and that's there's two ways to look at that. It's all, I mean, it was walk rate is what fifteen percent right now, which is which is horrendous. But that's the type of thing that I could see being ironed out. Now, what surprised me is I thought Toronto was going to play like a hit or Disneyland. It hasn't played that way, so I wonder if Manoa could start to pitch better later in the season, but maybe it can be mitigated by if the park starts to play more offensively friendly than we expected, then that that could kind of be a wash. The bottom line with Manoa is, is I don't roster him anywhere. It's not that I didn't like him. He just went earlier that I was willing to take a stab on him. If I were into a draft now, I, I would not take him with a top 150 pick, and I, w- I would price him as basically just a bottom of the – a starting pitcher six, a starting pitcher seven. I am not optimistic about Manoa. So Alec Manoa – has a very very large home road split, eight point five ERA on at home, three three ERA on the road. That's a three thirty three batting average at home, two thirty three batting average on the road. So I think that for now, until he gets figured out. And by the way, he, he, you mentioned his walk rate is abysmal. His strikeout rate is terrible, sixteen percent. Swinging strike rate only eight percent. 
Um, and, you know, looking at his luck metrics, he's been pretty luck neutral. Like his, his homer to fly ball is pretty neutral. Is bad. Well, it's it's funny neutral. you say that. It's funny you say that, Ariel, because one thing I think is fascinating about Manoa is his ERA right now is 540. And usually when somebody has an outlier ERA, this, the luck stats will always say, well, he, it shouldn't be that bad. It shouldn't be that bad. His expected ERA it should be worse. By, should worse. be worse. It should be over seven. He's actually lucky to have the 540, which is yeah. very unusual. Usually the guys who are getting hammered, the luck stats will defend them somewhat. The luck stats are not defending Alex Manoa. Yeah. No, no. There's there's, there's no bad luck here. It's it's uh, He's getting hammered. Um, I, I think at this point, you can't play him at home. I mean, unless you're in a deep league. If you're if you're in a mono league, I I mean, what are you gonna do? You're gonna bench him for who? Right? It's the opportunity cost. Who are you gonna put in? Uh, unless you've got a, a reliever that you just trust just to get you through the week, um, you, you're gonna be playing him. But if you're in a mixed league, uh, you cannot play him at home anymore. I just until he gets figured out away. I'd say only if there's a good matchup. I mean, he's. To me, he's that far low that he's just a borderline matchups play pitcher now in a in a mixed league. In the worst of in the worst division to be in. I know that the divisional matchups aren't as heavy as they used to be, but he, I mean, with the American League, every team is a winning record. Every team has a positive run differential. And you mentioned how you might be stuck with him in a mixed in a um, in a mono league. This is why. And look, play whatever fantasy you like. I'm not going to tell you if you like pepperoni pizza, eat pepperoni pizza, but. I, and I like pepperoni pizza, but I like kind of all kinds of pizza, not pineapple. But the thing I don't like about the mono leagues is that you don't have any op. If you get injuries or underperformers, you're pretty much will grin and bear it because there just isn't that much on the waiver wire. At least in a mixed league, you have alternatives, which is why I think mixed leagues are more interesting. Plus, you have to know in a mixed league, theoretically, you have to know all 30 teams, which I think I think mixed leagues get a bad rap. It's like, oh, everybody's getting an all-star team, which trust me, in a 15-team mixed league, that is not true at all. But at least the waiver wire always gives you options, and your bench will be interesting, but you'll cut some guys who you still like once in a while. I like to have as many different options as possible without making it ridiculous. Like a 16 mixed league maybe wouldn't be that interesting, but I think mixed leagues are a lot more interesting because you have alternatives when things go sideways. And if, yeah. you're, just, and if you're just playing him away... I mean, could you try to trade him? What are you going to get from him? You're, you're going to get no, nothing no, what you paid for can't him. Trade him. He, you, you can't trade him. But you know what? If, well, he if you're going to trade his... him, you have to wait till he, he does something to restore yeah, he has, he has to turn You, you, you have to wait bit. till he has one good start. He strikes out 11 guys one day. Then maybe you can trade him. You can't trade him when he's going bad. But, here, but, but the question is this. If he has another month of doing this, and let's say you decide, you know what? I'm cutting bait. I'm, I'm, I'm dropping him. Who's going to pick him up? Someone will pick him up. Someone will try, I guess, someone will try and hope he does turn it around. But I think that sometimes these ratios are, you know, it's a complete head scratcher. His velocity is fine. Everything looks fine. It's just that his his walk rate is double his career high. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's going on. And I, in, if I had him, I think if it goes on this for another month, I just straight out drop him. I don't think there's any use for him, especially with a K rate of seven. I I can get something like that on the waiver wire. Well, his velocity is down a little bit. It's it's down Very from ninety three six to ninety two eight, which I guess that begs the question or raises the question of what what do you consider? What makes a velocity drop something that you actually pay attention to? Where where do you draw the line for that? I, I usually draw it about one to one and a half miles an hour. It, it point six that that can differ from year to year. I'm I'm not overly concerned about that. Plus, he's he's still saying throwing the same almost the same percentage of all his pitches. So I'm not really concerned about that. It's just I, he's just not hitting the zone. He's just walking too many people. Well, the velocity drop depends where on the aging curve, but he's on the upswing. He's only 25 years old. Sure, you know? it shouldn't be a problem for a young pitcher unless he's hurt, which is always the problem with pitchers. Is you're always, and you know, want to be a kick in the teeth if we hear like in October where he says, "Oh yeah, my my shoulder was 
was hurting all season. I just didn't want to tell anybody. I mean, if, if he's throwing a six ERA for another month, are the Blue Jays going to keep starting him? You got to ask yourself that one. They, they can not. send him down. They can send him down. He's got yeah. options. Yeah. So I kind of think that in a month from now, if he's still doing this, it's a drop. For now, I think you just got to hold. Um, but you can't play in a shallower mix league. What about Lance Lynn? Um, Glenn Colton, who was on the show last week, said, you know who I'm starting this week? I'm starting Lance Lynn, and he certainly was rewarded. He was correct. Um, now, as opposed to Manoa, Lance Lynn does look a little bit unlucky. We're talking about a, an unlucky strand rate. His strike rate is pretty good. We talked last week that his FIP is a run higher than the XFIP, which means that it's a home run problem. He's got a very unlucky home run to fly ball. Uh, I kind of think Lance Lynn is someone that might get better, and maybe he's a trade. Maybe he's a trade for at this point. Buy low. Uh, you know, you're not going to get him at fifty cents in the dollar, but maybe get him at eighty cents in the dollar and. You know, starters are hard to come by. I, I think it might be a trade for. Do you agree, Scott? Actually, cut Lance Lynn in a mixed league, and then he had his best start <laughs> of the year. You win again, you win again Greg uh, Glenn Colton. Colton, <laughs> Colton the Wolfman, by the way. A great example of if you have the right partner in fantasy, like you guys are partners, it's a cheat code. Lance Lynn's stats are just crazy, right? I mean, you look at his strikeout and walk numbers, you'd be like, he's having a great season. That's a, he's got impeccable control, and he's striking out, you know, almost 11 guys per nine. The fastball velocity is down a little bit, but it's not crazy. Um, but the line drive rate is up, which makes me nervous. Obviously, you get a home run problem. If they're hitting the ball hard off you, that's part of it. I realize that the luck stats are going to defend him a little bit, but the XERA is still 5.04. That stinks. And unlike Alec Manoa, Vince Lynn's in an age 36 season. That was the kicker for me. And maybe I, I just, in the back of my mind, I was like, why did I draft so many White Sox? I thought the White Sox ran really unlucky last year with underperformance with so many guys getting hurt. I thought, well, they're really like an 85 to 87 win team. I'm going to scoop up values on Giolito and on Lance Lynn, on Eloy Jimenez. And Giolito's been okay. Jimenez has obviously been on the IL twice. And unfortunately with Lynn, he's been healthy, but getting his head handed to him. He's going deep in just about every start. And his strikeout numbers are really good. So I guess he's probably a hold for most people. But in one league, I did drop him. And we'll see if, uh, again, it may be a case of Colton wins again. All right, Ruvain, can you uh, decide this tip here? Yeah, I, I'm still playing him. I, I'm, I think there's upside a little bit still there. Um, he's using his changeup more. He hasn't used his slider for the last two years, so he sees he's, you know, he's using his fastball more. He's a fastball pitcher. Um, because there's not too much of a drop of velocity, he is 36. I think those Ks are still going to come. Um, his walk rate has doubled from last year, but it's still close to his ear uh, to his to his walk rate for for the rest of his career. So I'm not concerned about that. It's the home run to fly ball, and I think it's the home run to fly ball. If he can get that down just a little bit. He's going like you mentioned, Scott. He's going deep into games, so he's he's one of those starters that you have to play because he will get a chance to get you a win. He may give up four or five runs, but he'll go six, seven innings. So if the White Sox score six runs, then you have a shot. Yes, that's actually very important. The longer you go, the more of a shot you have in terms of getting a win, and he is still doing that. So it's another reason why you should consider. How about this next guy, Nick Lodolo, who has similar problems to Lance Lynn, similar home run problem, striking out a lot of people, not really walking anyone, 6% walk rate. His BABIP is 435, so he's obviously pretty unlucky. Um, but he's not going deep into games. He's actually only made it to the sixth inning in one start this year, and in three out of the last four starts, he's not even getting out of the fifth. So, um, you know, He's, 
uh, what do you do with Nick Lodolo? Now, long term, I think you got to hold him. Um, if you're in a keeper league, sure. Um, I'm probably sitting him for the time being. Don't think that I'm throwing him away yet because maybe something corrects. He did have a better second half than first half last year. Maybe that could play into it. What are your thoughts, Scott? Well, he's, he's out, what, at least a month with a calf injury. So once once a pitcher gets hurt, I am not, if it's not a short-term thing or something, I guess calf is better than elbow or shoulder or forearm or something like that. But I am almost never the injury optimist with any long-term injuries. So Lodolo is somebody, because the problem is you get to hold him and in some leagues you don't have an IL spot. And then you get to wait till he comes back. And we talked about, you know, we, a lot of us don't want to throw the guy out right away when he comes back, or maybe the team amps him up slowly. So at what point can he be in the circle of trust again? My expect, I liked Lodolo before the season. He's on a couple of my teams, but I basically reset those expectations to zero. Yes, he's got a, he's got a stress reaction in his shin, in his tibia. Uh, he's in a walking boot. He's not doing anything for two weeks, getting an MRI in two weeks, which means he's going to be out at least a minimum of four weeks. He's a pitcher. He has to use his legs. If he has that, if he, that can come back, it's it's not a fracture. It's a stress reaction. This could be a thing that can keep him out for a month or two. And with that here high ERA and and WHIP, I don't think those strikeouts are worth it. I'd rather throw a two star pitcher and take my luck with that than I'd actually think about in a in a in a fifteen team league. I would drop him. No one's picking him up next week. He's a, he's in a boot. No yeah. one's gonna pick him up. And they do. Too. Let them let them waste a roster spot. Let, let them let them sit on their bench and let them waste a uh, a bench spot while you pick up someone else. I think that's the way to go right now. Yeah, that's true. With the injury guys, now now for a hitter, if this was a hitter, a month out for a hitter, probably not not something you want to drop. Pitcher, yeah, you're right. It's not just the one month here. We're talking one month plus. It'll take time for him to get back in, in back into form. Yeah, it, it, then he it, comes it, back it, to Cincinnati, like which is one of the best places to hit. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, if you need the room, but certainly if you have the room, you can keep him. If you don't have the room, probably can go. What about Chris Sale? Chris Sale has has had a tale of two different parts of the season so far. The first month he was god-awful, 8-2-2 ERA in his first five starts. Uh, still striking out, guys, but walking the park. Last three starts, 20 innings, 24 strikeouts, just two walks for .73 whip. Um, you know, Chris Sale, we know he's a high upside guy. I, I'd be a, very wary of a possible blow-up. He seems like he gets ticked off. He starts shredding uniforms, punching walls. <laughs> seems like he can unravel quickly. So I kind of think that there's an ERA uh, dumper of a game at some point. You know, it reminds me of, of Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard was great for entire seasons, but he'd always have this one blow-up outing of six, seven earned runs, and that would kill an otherwise good season. So I have that fear of Chris Sale, um, but otherwise he's definitely on the up, right? Yeah, I talked about when Ron Chandler did the Tout Wars auction for me, who I, I had a color-coded graph for him, different colors, and Chris Sale was in red, which is basically do not Chris Sale. When they say his name, go to the bathroom. I don't want Chris Sale on my team. And for a month I was feeling pretty justified on that. He has pitched well lately, but he's always had the funky mechanics. Remember Keith Law famously said, the the excellent writer and – and prospect guy talked about Chris Sale. Oh, he's going to have to be a reliever. I, I don't think with that torque and I'm, I'm not quoting Keith exactly, but he talked about just with sale, the way he delivers it. He just didn't think he could handle the rigors of being a starter. Now 
Sale, one of the best pitchers who's never won a Cy Young Award. I think he's almost, he was almost like on a Hall of Fame trajectory until the last three or four years. I joked that when the Red Sox offered him that contract extension, he probably drove 100 miles an hour and blew all the red lights to sign it because it was like a horrible deal the day it was offered to him. As a Red Sox fan, I'll be pleasantly surprised if he's viable all season or even if what he's done the last few starts carries over. But I think at the end of the year, his ERA is going to be over four. I think he'll have an IL stint. I think he'll probably throw 120 innings. There's a t- I see much more volatility than I do upside with Chris Sale. Yeah, he's probably going to end up in a rodeo like Madison Bumgarner. It's, uh, I can just picture that, right? Uh, <laughs> Ruvain, what, what well, about um, you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little nervous about him also because he's already almost at the same amount of innings this year that he's pitched in the last two years combined. Right. So he's he's got that whole innings thing. There's gonna they don't they don't have to have, you know innings check or anything like that. I think the innings check will come by itself. Like you mentioned, he probably will end up on the IL just for some at some point for a little nick here something like that. But I still think he may still get to 140, 150 innings even even maybe even 160 because he wants to show that he's healthy. He wants to pitch for long. I think the problem right now is that he still has a little bit issue with his control because his walk rate is a little bit up. I think that'll come with just more innings and just repetition. I think he will be okay, but just okay. You have to reset your um, your expectations for him that you had in the beginning of the year. I'll say this for sale. He'll pitch through anything. He's got He's a warrior, and he's pitched through injuries many times. So I'm not in any way questioning his toughness, but I don't think you can bet on his reliability. Hey, rank these rest of season. Uh, sale? DeGrom or Kershaw? Well, Kershaw easily is one for me. I Yeah. He will miss time though, of course, right? Agreed. Of course, they'll give him they'll give him the the load management. The Dodgers thinking they're already in the playoffs, but and I hate to say it, DeGrom's my favorite pitcher to watch when he's healthy. I just don't know how you can ever bet on that. And Sale would be a distant third for me. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Kershaw, I think they, they, they will also at one point spend some time on the aisle just for some kind of injury, but it'll be more like rest and that's it. Um, but I think Kershaw is the, quote, I, I guess, quote-unquote, safest of the three. Sure. I think he'll, he may give you the most innings of the three, and that's what you're looking for. There you go. Well, if you're saying that he's the safest, it tells you what, what the other pitchers uh, mean in terms of risk. But there you go. Uh, all right, let's do some waiver wire picks for the end of the show here. Uh, let's go to you, Scott, first. Uh, who is a couple of players that you might be picking up this week on the on the wire? Yeah, three guys. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you a hitter, a relief pitcher, and another hitter. I realize the Washington Nationals lineup is kind of like a factory of sadness, but. Lane Thomas has been promoted recently. Looks good in the leadoff spot, hitting for a plus average. He's got some power. He's got some speed. And since he joined the Nationals a few years ago, I think his OPS plus is something like 113, where 100 would be a league average hitter. He's a good player. And I think his roster tag is being held down because he's on an anonymous team, a team that's going to probably finish last place. And he was in that 7-8-9 slot for a while. They find, I think he bats leadoff the rest of the year. And his pace for the rest of the season would be to like an 85 run guy and maybe a 15 home run guy double digit steal guy the average won't hurt you i mentioned being concerned about ryan iglesias we know aj minter got some saves but didn't really pitch that well before iglesias came back well how about nick anderson great strikeout to walk numbers we saw him come out of nowhere had a great run with miami he went to tampa bay he was viable there for a couple of years since he's then he's been hurt a couple of washout seasons he looks healthy again and even if you get Anderson and he doesn't close, I think mean, he already has two or three wins and maybe an odd save. He's on the best team in the National League. He's going to get high leverage work. That means wins or saves will be there somewhere. I think he'll be valuable in just about all mixed leagues. Jake Berger, I'm shocked, 
rostered in Yahoo, that number should be a lot higher. He's been on a home run binge lately, promoted to cleanup in Thursday's game. He should be rostered in mixed leagues at somewhere between the 60-70% range. I think the market's just a little bit late on Berger. So Elaine Thomas already on a bunch of my teams. I think this is a great time to get Nick Anderson bottom of the market. Don't go top of the market when he becomes the closer. Then you'll have to pay through the nose. Get him earlier. And uh, Jake Berger, I think, is under-repped right now. Yeah, we've been talking about Jake Berger a lot on this show. Um, the reason why I think he's under-owned right now is because he went on the IL, and maybe people are slow to pick up. It's uh, Anytime you have a guy who was touted and pe- picked up, then either it was sent to the minors or injured and then comes back, they're always slow to get picked up. Same thing's true about Christopher Morell. Like, uh, people, you know, dropped him, and he, he was, did not go for that much the past couple of weeks. Right? He, even though he's back up, he was red hot in the minors. Um, anytime that happens, you have that. As far as Lane Thomas goes, yeah, you know, the funny thing, though, is I, I've been watching him every single week. And he did strike out a lot. I'll say that. That's one thing against him. But yeah, ahead. true. And, and by the way, StatCast actually believes the speed more than it believes the power. Uh, StatCast numbers are not that great on the power side. They are on the speed side. I just, every week I look at him and I'm like, should we pick him up? Should I pick him up? And I just couldn't put the put, push the trigger every week. There is always some somebody better or some different reason. So I've had him on my radar. Just couldn't couldn't uh, put put my finger on the trigger for him for some reason. But yeah, he's on. Is it a twenty fifteen pace? Uh, and he's leading off and he's batting two eighty one. So uh, definitely, if you're in a deeper league, he should be scooped up immediately, right? All right, Ruvain, how about you? A couple guys. I have three guys. I have a reliever and two hitters. I have Hector Neris. In 18 games so far, he has 22 strikeouts, two saves, two wins, a 1.47 ERA, a .84 whip. I think he has supplanted Rafael Montero in the pecking order in the high leverage um, um, starts because he's just behind, I guess, Ryan Plesley and maybe Brian Abreu. We mentioned him before, but Hector Neris, he, if he's pitching in high leverage situations, then he has a more of a chance of getting wins, and that's very important, especially if you want to throw a, a middle reliever who has a chance of not necessarily saving games, but being in the games when they mean the most. They can help you down the road with that, with your, with with both the ratios and with the wins. Another guy who you should keep an eye on, Royce Lewis. He's in double A now. He can't be activated from the IL because he's in a 60-day IL until May 29th, so you can get him cheap now. With Jose Miranda being sent down and Nick Gordon getting hurt, he actually has a clear path to playing time. He's only 28% owned in CBS right now. He's coming off of ACL surgery, and in his first game back at double A, he's... He has he had two hits and he had two stolen bases. So that's something something to watch for. If you need stolen bases, he's a guy to look for. And another guy, I have to mention this because I have a bone to pick with the manager about this, and this Mark Vientos. Mark Vientos was just called up by the Mets. He hit a home run in his first game, and then he was sat because the manager doesn't like playing young guys, and that's something you have to be aware of. If you're going to pick a, a, a prospect, what team are they being called up for? Are they on a team that they're going to play, or are they on a team they're just going to be in a platoon to start with? And, I, and that's why I don't like the way Buck Schoenwalder is doing it, but that's a whole different issue. But the reason why I'm talking about Mark Vientos is because he's played 150 games so far at AAA. 294 in those 150 games, 294 average, 40 home runs, 113 RBIs, with an OPS of 942. And that's in Syracuse, New York. That's not out west. That's in Syracuse, New York. He, if he's able to get playing time, he has been hot. He's been one of the hottest players at AAA. He has, I think, 10 or 11 home runs already this year at AAA. If he plays every day, which he should because the Mets lineup needs that little kick, I think he's a guy that he's not, oh, he's not owned that much in a lot of leagues. You can you can spook, spook, uh, scoop him up. He can play third for 
debut, um, and they may even end up trying him at DH a little bit because uh, Vogelbach is just not cutting it anymore. Yeah, and you know I, I like him this year. He's cut down his strikeout rate in the minors to twenty percent. He was you know in the higher twenties. He's cut it down to twenty percent. So gives rise to maybe he's he's uh, he can keep that batting average up, right? A lot of these rookies come up and maybe they hit for power, but a crappy average, that that looks a little bit promising. And the power is real. 13 homers at AAA this week. The thing that I worry about, though, is I look at the what I mean, they have Brett Beatty at third base. Are they doing a Tampa Bay Rays thing now where they're just going to literally platoon Beatty and Vientos? I, I feel like that that may happen. And if that happens, they both lose value, so they're not really viable yeah. for full-time fantasy. That's that's the problem. But they also have a spotted DH. They don't have a set DH who's a hit for power yet. Yeah, but are they going to do like Vogelbach, Vogelbach and Beatty for, uh, you know, against the righties and then Pham and Vientos against the lefties? I feel like they could be trending that way. I like how you pronounce Vogelbach's name with that little extra, like you're clearing Bach. your throat at the end. Like, 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 just please cut this guy. I want him off the team. <laughs> I also just want to piggyback really quickly – um, I like the Hector Norris call, and it's really as simple as guys who massage your ratios, guys who have great walkout strike numbers, who play for winning teams, they're valuable. And they're going to, as, um, as Ruben said, they're going to get high leverage work. Does that mean we, we've been so programmed for years, like, gotta be, we got to get saves, we got to get saves, we got to get saves. What if Hector Norris gets seven wins and five saves? That'll be really valuable for your team. Get these strikeout walk ratio dominators on winning teams they're all over the place nick anderson's roster tag in yahoo is tiny right now in a lot of leagues you can get him at the price of whoever the weakest player is in your roster somebody just got hurt somebody just got sent down cut him pick up pick up nick anderson pick up hector norris they will help your team yeah yenier cano is should be owned in every oh god he should he's long gone. i wish i had him anywhere <laughs> and, and you know what cano fits i always say every year I want you to look at the stats like two or three weeks into the season because walks and strikeouts stabilize quickly. I know everybody always says, oh, wait, small sample. Walks and strikeouts have meaning early, okay? And you're going to find relievers. Nick Anderson was a pickup this way when he first popped in Miami. Where Who the heck is Nick Anderson? I don't know, but his walk and strikeout rate is great. Who the heck is Yenny or Cano? Wait a minute. He pitched a couple times before, and he was terrible. Does it matter? Once he has that, once you see like uh, no walks, 13 strikeouts, just pick those guys up. I know not every one of them is going to pop, but when you get a hit like a Cano, it's a, a, I have him nowhere and it kills me because I'm the type of person who goes hunting for the Yeni or Canoes in the third week of April. And for whatever reason, I was asleep at the switch. I don't know. Was I playing golf? What was taking a nap? I missed the boat on that, but man, what a great pickup he was. Yep. And we've talked about strikeouts minus walks. That's what you got to put the pulse on for. These pitchers, relievers, starters. the signal shows early that you don't have to wait forever for these guys. They will show very early, and it's sticky and it's sticky within the year. So you know, and it could be guys. And the great thing about this is it could be guys who you had no expectations on. Yenier Cano was drafted in zero leagues before the season. It doesn't matter. We can still pick him up with some level of confidence once we see some of these returns. Exactly. I'll throw in a couple guys. Uh, shallow leagues. Alex Kirloff, uh, the fifty percent owned. Should be a lot more. Uh, looked great so far. He was fantastic in AAA, 163 WRC+, plus, batting in the top half of the lineup. Just needs to be healthy. Uh, needs to be healthy, but as he's healthy, he's good. He also qualifies both first and outfield. So, uh, you know, talk about multi-positional. It's not the best multi-positional, but everything will help. Um, how about a hot guy? I don't always love, love the hot guys, but Dominique Fletcher is just playing every single day. God, he's yeah. raking at Arizona. 
170 WRC+. Plus. Now, he has a high BABIP, so you'd say he's a tad lucky, but look at his minors league track record in BABIP. He, he hasn't really had any year of less than 350 BABIP. So he's a guy that is, is you know, going to get on base more. And his strikeout rate, 18%. So we're talking about a high floor. Now, I don't know if the power is real. I don't think he's going to get more than maybe six more homers for the year. But it's plenty valuable in deeper leagues. And I'll throw in one other guy, Mickey Moniak. We talked about mm. looking for guys and role changers. Who's the new leadoff batter for the Angels? Uh, it's Mickey Moniak. Uh, he's only 10% owned. He has two homers in his first four games. Triple A this year, eight homers, 23 RBIs, 308. Um, hello. This is, a, to me, it's a slam dunk. Leadoff batter who has some power. That's the guy to pick up. He's also stolen a couple of bases. And don't forget, not only, I love, we all love a post-hype sleeper. He was the first pick in his draft class. He was the first pick in the 2016 draft. And the, the, I want to say the Flyers or the Eagles. The Phillies decided after all of 93 major league at bats, they decided, no, this, this guy can't play. Now, with Moniak, I picked him up in a few leagues, and I want to see them commit to him because he, since um, he got called up, I think he's played like maybe – he plays a game, he sits a game, he plays a game, he sits a game, even though he's already put two homers and two steals on the board. But, man, I, I love any, – anytime I see a player who – one organization organization gave up on him. Somebody else gives him a chance. He had a first round pedigree. Now the walk strikeout rate is, is going to make you nervous as a pro. I think he has twelve walks against seventy strikeouts, which is a problem. But he's showing power and speed. He may bat lead off in Anaheim. We know that's the place to be in front of Otani, in front of Trout. It's a very top heavy lineup right now. I think he has a chance to take this job and run with it, and it's plausible upside, right? And whatever, if he doesn't pop out, you know, he may be the guy that you cut in a week or two. But I can tell myself a plausible upside story when he was the first pick of his draft class, and he's only twenty-five. It's a no-brainer. If you don't want to go bet, bet a lot on him, I understand. It's a no-brainer. You don't have to. Make, you don't have to. Yeah, you can get right. him for a one-dollar bid. I bet. Yeah, you know, make a keep honest bid, or it probably will win. So uh, that's a no-brainer in my mind. Let's do a couple of pitchers for pitcher preview. How about you, Scott? Is there any pitcher that you're looking to pick up for this week? Uh, maybe a one, good one start or a good two starts or whatever. Well, I know the numbers don't necessarily support it unless you stream, if you uh, maybe focus on his late starts. But Dean Kramer, Baltimore, I want to have ties to the Orioles. Last year he had an ERA in the mid-threes. I know he's not a big strikeout guy, but – there's been so many injuries with pitching. I feel like the waiver wire is pretty thin to get starting pitchers. It's kind of interesting how we're all nominating relievers, and they're, they're great guys to add, but it's harder to find a starter. He gets the Angels. He gets the Blue Jays this week. I may blow up in my face, but Dean Kramer is – I picked him up on some leagues last week, and I think he can have an ERA in the threes the rest of the season. I think that's in play. I want to bet on Baltimore. Yeah. Um, Dean Kramer, by the way, in points leagues, he's been golden this year. Um, he's been phenomenal because he does go deep into games and in points leagues, the strikeouts aren't as important as just innings. So him and by the way, Kyle Gibson has been great also in points leagues. The Orioles have been fantastic for that. I, I don't know Ruben? if I'm stealing. I don't know if I'm stealing this name for somebody else. Pardon me, Ruben. I also considered Alex Wood. The only thing with him is that the Giants don't want him to face rotate a, a batting order the third time through. And when you're looking at 18 plate appearances per game, maybe 19 or 20. It's so hard to get a win. I still think Alex Wood has some good innings to throw us. I'm just afraid he's going to throw like some of those three or four inning starts and they won't help you for wins. Same. Same reservations here. Good good quality pitcher, though. Uh, curious to see if he builds up a little bit more over the season. True, for sure. So, Ruben, what about you? 
I got two two-star pitchers, which is out of the norm. Because normally, I don't usually say the two-star pitchers. Um, but one is Michael Lorenzen. He's only 31% owned in CBS. He's two-start at Kansas City and against the White Sox. I like those two starts. And one of those against Brady Singer, who's got the highest, one of the highest ERAs, like I mentioned before, in, in baseball. In his last three starts, Lorenzen is 2-1 with a .9. .9 ERA in 20 innings. Not a lot of strikeouts. We get 11 strikeouts, but two good chances for a win. Another guy, also only 31% on CBS, and that's Marco Gonzalez. He actually blew up less this past uh, week, which is not that great, but I, lo- I like his two starts, a possible two starts. One is at home against Oakland, and one is at home against Pittsburgh. His ERA in the last three starts, don't look at it. I, I'm going on based on matchup and based on the fact that I think that they have a good chance of going, getting wins because same reason, Marco Gonzalez, he actually can go deep into games if he can get out of like the third or fourth inning. He's usually good at that. So those two guys are pretty safe for good chance for wins. I'm not saying they're going to help your ERA, whip, ERA and whip. That's not what we're doing. That We're trying to get as many wins out of these two-star pitchers. So I'm looking at Josh Fleming now. Uh, we're talking about Alex Wood that he does he won't go more than four innings. But if you're on the Rays and you're getting an opener, if you go three innings and you're the second pitcher, which by the way this is a terrible rule. I, I with today's day and age of baseball, it really should not matter how many innings you pitch to start the game, or at least they should change it to four innings or something like that for a win. Uh, but if Josh Fleming is coming in as the second pitcher, he could pitch three innings and get the win. Uh, I think he's a very high valuable pitcher, and they've Tampa needs innings. I mean, they've lost so many starters this year, and Fleming is a good arm. Um, he's playing against Toronto and the Dodgers, so it's a two-star week with tough matchups. But I like the Rays to score runs. I think it's a good chance of wins if he's not the if he gets an opener with him this week. I, I picked up in Tout Wars Yanni Chirinos. Um, and I got a win. He came in second pitcher. I'm like, great. I, I, I love it that he didn't get the start. I want him to sure. be the, the bulk guy, right? It's great. They need to change the win rule, right? They and, do. And, you, you know, there's actually a scorer's interpretation where uh, this you see this all the time. Closer comes in, three-run lead. He gets his face handed to him, blows the lead, and then they score a run in the bottom of the ninth. They win the game, and they give him the win. The official score, there's if a pitcher is ineffective, they can give the win to somebody else. It scores discretion, but they never do it because the official scores don't want to make enemies. That's why everything's a hit now. Because if you call something a hit, the fielder's happy and the hitter's happy. Yeah, the pitcher isn't so happy, but whatever. You keep two people happy. I don't see why throwing three or four innings the way baseball is right now. Uh, again, I talked about Alex Wood. He threw four and two-thirds really good innings the other day. So we're going to give the win to a guy who maybe pitched a one batter or two batters or one inning or something, as opposed to a guy who pitched almost five innings. It doesn't make any sense. No, it's dope. The only thing I can think of why you wouldn't change it is if you want to compare it to historical people in the past, yeah. well, they've, they had to go five innings. You didn't, but it's, it's a different game. It, it's just, it's not fair to compare it, you know? Oh, for sure. It, it's totally a different game and error. And we all know that change comparing errors is so different you know, you want to compare a quarterback today to a quarterback in the 1970s when the pass interference rules were different. Everybody threw a bunch of interceptions, and you know, it's it's apples and oranges. You know, hockey it's so it's so much harder to score today than it was like maybe in 1982 when Gretzky was scoring 92 goals. If you put Connor McDavid in the 1980s NHL, he would have scored 100 goals. I'm convinced of that. So would have Alex <laughs> Ovechkin. You know, the games are different, and the thing with baseball and the reason why they're probably so reluctant to change these things is baseball, as we all know, has 
a relationship with the legacy and the history and the stats and, and what they matter. For example, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of all sports, right? If you ask me how many points did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar score, I don't know. Or how, how many um, you know how many yards did Tom Brady throw for, I don't know. Or touchdown passes did Dan Marino have. Or touchdowns did Walter Payton rush for. I don't know any of those numbers. But if you ask me how many home runs did Hank Aaron hit, I know that. Or how many hits did Pete Rose have, I have that. Or, you know, did so-and-so win 300 games, yes or no? I know who those guys are. Baseball has the most romance and the most history, and we care more about stats with baseball than any other sport, which is why people flip out so much about steroids and, and authenticity and stuff like that. Because in baseball, we care. In football, other sports, we don't care as much. Yeah. You know, the only thing I'd say is that you know, whatever MLB does officially for the stats, the fantasy providers, if they really wanted, can invent a stat and they can say, all right, you know, come in and hold the lead. We'll call it a, uh, a winning opportunity or, you know, we, you can make up a, a stat and a provider is free to do that. They don't need MLB's permission. I'd like to see them make that up. Let me ask you this. Are you, are you guys in favor of using like quality starts or holds or are there any um, non-traditional five by five stats that you like to add to your fantasy leagues. Yeah, I think I think holds and saves should be combined, and I think quality starts and wins should be combined. That way, you cover the pitcher because there's so many guys getting saves, it doesn't matter, and and so many different guys getting wins that if you get a quality start, there's a good chance he'll only pitch six innings, and he won't get you, and the bullpen won't hold it. So I think combining both of those would be golden. I think that would be the way to go. One of my leagues, one of my head-to-head leagues uses innings pitched, which I actually, I didn't think I would like it, but I actually kind of like it. I mean, I think quality starts is another thing that it's got to go from six innings to, th- to five innings mm-hmm. um, from, from the game. But Yeah, five and, five and two should be a quality start, right? What's yeah. Why is six and three better than five and two? I don't think it is. Uh, six and three is a 4.5 ERA. That's not great, you know. Well, how many how many of your pitchers have ever gone four and two thirds, and the manager comes to take them out, and they still have the lead, and you're like you're cringing, like why can't you just get let them stay in for one that's more? That's the batter? Alex Wood uh, driving me crazy, man, driving yeah. me crazy. I'm like, I don't care, let him. You know how I would manage that situation? I would say, okay, the first guy gets on, we're taking you out. If you if you have a short hook with a guy, at least get let him get in trouble, let him do something wrong. I, I think before I would use quality starts, I would want fantasy providers to invent a stat which is if you're in the in the ball game with the lead you 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 take the lead you get the win no innings restrictions whatsoever i actually like to see that happen before anything else that that's my yeah i like that that's an interesting we we could call it a cohen yeah a cohen win or something i don't know whatever uh but that's the point all right uh injury update ruvain go for it all right, we'll start with Jazz Chisholm. We mentioned him earlier. He was placed on the aisle with turf toe on his right foot. He actually visited a specialist in North Carolina this past week, and he could require four to six weeks of rest and rehab. So guys to look for for more playing time, Garrett Hampson and John Birdie. Manny Machado actually has a fracture in his hand. He got hit. Um, initial tests were normal. Bob Melvin, the manager, thinks that he may be able to play through it. I don't see why they would want to do that at this point in the season. It may give him a, a short IL stint just to rest it up. Uh, we mentioned about uh, Nick Gordon. One guy, uh, Nick Gordon has a has a. Fra- I mentioned him before. Nick Gordon had a has a fractured shin. He fouled a ball off his leg. The guy who's gonna get more playing time right now is Michael Taylor, and he's available in a lot of leagues, and he's very undervalued. He gives you power. He gives you stolen bases. That's the guy to look for. Dylan Carlson was placed on the aisle with a left ankle sprain. Oscar Mercado, Lars Newbar, will get a lot more playing time. Oscar Mercado was originally drafted by the Cardinals, so he's finally actually getting to play for the Cardinals, which is interesting. 
TJ Friedel was placed on the aisle with a mild left oblique strain. Obliques are tricky. He may be out four weeks. He may be out six weeks. We'll see how that works out. Stuart Fairchild and Jose Barreo could see more playing time. Dustin May was placed on the aisle with a right flexor pronator strain. He will receive a PRP injection to try to avoid surgery. But timeline to return is still four to six weeks. A name to look for to possibly come up to replacement for that time period, Gavin Stone. Tristan McKenzie, I'll end it on a positive note here. Tristan McKenzie is actually making a rehab start this weekend. He's slated to throw about three innings or, or 50 pitches. It's the first time he's actually pitching since his right terrors major strain in late March. He'll need a, at least one or two starts before they actually call him up. But he's a guy that if you're holding on to him, you got to hold on for another couple weeks before he gets called up. All right. Well, that's the end of the show. Really a fantastic show. We did players talking strategy. I think it's so important to just talk about strategy of how and when and why. It's not just about the players. To me, it's also about knowing when to push the buttons and why. And to have, obviously, it's always case-specific, but you know, if you have your general principles, that's the way to go. So you know, thank you so much to you, Scott, for coming on the show. And uh, why don't you tell the audience again where we can uh, read your stuff and listen to you and all things Scott Pianowski. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was a, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Yahoo Sports is where most of my work is, my full-time job, and happy to have it. And uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. As we mentioned at the top of the show, I am doing two weeks, uh, two spots a week with DJ Short on his excellent Around the Bases podcast. That's a Roto World show, and it's, it's been really a blast with that. I'm on satellite radio various times. I have a weekly spot on Wednesdays with the RotoWire guys, and you'll see me pop up on radio here and there. So if you, if you live in certain cities, don't be surprised if you hear my voice. But again, most of my stuff at Yahoo Sports, uh, where you know, it's still not too late to draft another fantasy baseball team. Fantasy football is open for business. Uh, I'm actually going to even do maybe some fantasy golf work this summer. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, again, thanks for having me. It was really a blast. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, you should definitely check out the podcast that uh, Scott does with, uh, um, with DJ Short. Uh, once again, it's called Circling the Bases. Really they great called show. Around, they called Around the Bases, Circling the Bases. I'm sorry, guys. But yeah, DJ's great. Yes. I, I, I met him very briefly in Florida for labor. I was basically, hey, how you doing? And uh, I wish I got to talk to him a little bit more. But you guys do a really great show going through all the players uh, every single week and, and all the topics. Now, really, really great listening to you each week. Scott, definitely keep up the great work. Thank you. We appreciate that. And again, um, yeah, DJ's DJ's a great guy. Fun guy to talk about music. too. We let our hair down there, too. And we were talking about our favorite condiments in the last episode. So we'll get a little silly, too. But um, at the end of the day, we're trying to make you more thoughtful of a fantasy manager. And I know that's the ethos here. You guys are always giving out great advice. And then that's why you're, you're both really tough to beat in any league that you're in. And um, it, it's really a pleasure to be on the show and talk to you guys. No, absolutely. Uh, it, my son would say it's relish. Uh, Ruvain, what about you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. I also have a weekly article that comes out every weekend. Um, it's on Rotoballer. It discusses all the injuries I mentioned, plus a whole bunch more. And it tells you, like I mentioned also in my injury update, other players who are coming up and to look for on the waiver wire. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. I'm over at Fangraphs Rotoballer. Follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. ATC projections, rest of season are up. And, of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast uh, each and every week presented by Fangraphs. 
I'm so sorry again. My voice has turned hoarse, but hopefully by the next time uh, I will be much better. Not like it was a couple months ago where it was like three weeks. Some in a people, row. some people like a hoarse voice. I mean, Demi Moore's made a career out of ha- having a hoarse voice. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, nah. I do a lot of singing, so. Uh, I mean, you're kind, you're kind of, you're probably as attractive on a male on a male scale as Demi Moore is on a female scale, right? That's probably about even, right? <laughs> I think that's the first time he's ever had that comparison. Ever. <laughs> Well, uh, you know what, Ariel? I got to ask you this. Yeah, I know you're a softball pitcher. Who is a what major league pitcher, past or present, would be the best comp for you as a softball pitcher? Um, I try to, I try to model my my changeup like Lisa Fernandez, the female pitcher. Oh, sure, yeah. I don't know. I know her. Great softball pitcher. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I try to I try to throw her changeup is what I throw. I think she said once that she tried to throw the Ariel. Cohen change up. But, you know, she could she couldn't master it, so she just had to go with the, the regular no hit stuff that she throws. Yeah. Um no, I'm more of the crafty. I I mean my fastball's okay, but I, I'm more of the uh Jamie the rich, Moore. Uh, Rich uh, Hill. Uh, rich Hill. Rich Hill. Uh I, I, I do my wind up like Kershaw where I stretch my arms out, but I like uh, it. Rich Hill repertoire. Jamie Moyer. Yeah, I like yeah. Moyer. Um Mark Burley maybe. You you work fast? No, I like working slow, which gets people annoyed so that they swing and I throw them a super Oh, you're like the Wilson Contreras of softball pitchers. You're trying to control <laughs> the, the cadence of the at-bat. I like it. Okay. Yeah. when I, I actually find that when I get into a rhythm is when I get hit. When I say, wait a minute, what am I doing? Rhythm, let me get out of it. And, you know, then just throw a wait, 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 throw a change up, you know, that kind of thing. is. is get out of a rhythm. Okay, nice. You'll be a great pitching coach someday. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of the show. Once again, thanks so much. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. We're off next week, but we'll be back to you guys in two weeks. So we'll see you then. Once again, thank you to Scott Pianowski for coming on the show and from all of us here at Beat the Shift. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.